everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here. And for today's podcast episode, the main topic is going to be another topic based on a write-in suggestion from a listener. So today we're going to mainly talk about the VTE exam. So we'll go over what all that means more in depth later. But for now, I want to welcome our guest for today who will be chatting with us about that. With us today is Beth, and she is a CVT. So welcome, Beth. So happy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. And I, I am just ridiculously excited about this conversation we're going to have about the VTNE. People who probably have this looming in their future probably think I'm crazy that I'm excited about it, but I feel like it is this big, scary thing and it doesn't really need to be right. You're smarter than you think you are. You know more than you think you do. And it shouldn't be that scary. So I am so excited to shed some more light on this today. But before we talk about that, staying true to the path here at Kendra, the Vet Tech Podcast, I do want to talk about your career just a little bit before we get started. Uh, Tell us about what led you to veterinary medicine and your path through and kind of where you are today. Sure. Uh, I think like many people, veterinary technology was not my first career choice. So I originally went to school to be a music teacher, which lasted about five minutes. Uh, It was a lifelong dream, but obviously not. And uh, I had a hard time uh, in my first time in college. And I ended up getting a dog that actually got me through it. Uh, She needed surgery, which was one of my first introductions to the profession. She had medial luxating patellas. And in order to pay for the surgery, I actually had to sell my professional instruments. So, um, yeah, so that was my last playing or or teaching music. And it kind of introduced me to vet med. I later went back to school at 28 years old, which looking back, I feel like that was kind of older to go back (laughs) to school. So um, I chose that as my career path, my dog as my inspiration. And she had gotten me through a hard time and I was fascinated by vet med. So I graduated from Fox College Vet Tech Institute and I was in general practice. And then I worked as a, at a lab, as a lab assistant at my alma mater. So I was doing both general practice and working as a lab assistant and there was an opening to teach. I was asked to teach. And I absolutely loved it. It was a happy medium between my love for teaching and working with animals. So I worked in academia for about seven years, again, starting as a lab assistant. And then I worked my way up to externship coordinator. I handled career services. Um, I handled alumni services, started an alumni association. And then I wanted to branch out, loved education, loved teaching. I realized that this profession is so much more than nails and anal glands. Uh, My schooling taught me about myself. It taught me to have confidence. I was doing things I never thought that I could do, like drawing blood. I was afraid of needles. I'm still kind of afraid (laughs) of needles. I always, I always, uh, my husband teases me relentlessly because I am needle shy, right? So we say this with horses a lot or put warnings on their file or whatnot, needle shy horse or whatever. I am a needle shy human. And my husband is, he's like, you work with needles every day. You poke things every day. And I'm like, yes, but I'm not poking myself every day. There's a difference there. (laughs) Right. In school, I always told myself by the time I have to draw blood, I'll be perfectly comfortable with the idea. I'll be perfectly fine with it. (laughs) I still remember my first blood draws. So taught me a lot about myself. And, and that's something I wanted to share with people. 
it wasn't just a discovery of the profession. It was a discovery of myself. So I started with a a company called Heartland Veterinary Partners in January, where I've been able to branch out and reach more people and talk to more people and network and share these tips and tricks and these things that I've learned uh, with more people on just a much wider scale. And I absolutely love that because I really think we need support in this this industry. Uh, We need to support each other. And we need support for the BTNE. And we, we, we need to elevate each other. I love the NAVTA initiative of empowerment. Yes, I, I agree with all of those things. And we just all need to come together, find each other. I think that's, I think that's another big hurdle that veterinary technicians, credential technicians have is just finding each other and networking and making these opportunities to connect and do things like compare salaries, compare utilization within practices. You know, I find that some people who maybe haven't been to bigger cities or bigger areas don't realize that they're being underutilized because their veterinarian prefers to do all the things themselves. And and yeah, I think networking would make a big difference in that, uh, being able to reach out to each other and make these connections. I I 100% agree. I um. I'm a strong advocate for getting involved. If you have an idea, voice it. Yes. Talk to your state organizations. I'm working on two projects. Uh, One that is, it's a four-part series to educate DVMs on technician utilization because we want to utilize our skills. After we go through school, whether it's 18 months, like some of the programs are, or two years, and you learn all of this, you have this wide bank of knowledge, you want to be able to utilize it. And this is the day and the age of the technician. Yeah. We know that there's a veterinarian shortage. And this is this is the time to, to utilize us for us to, to use our skills to help the profession and to help our patients because we have the skills and we have the knowledge bank. Right. And I feel like too, the, the kind of next step is from utilization is growth. Right. So we come out and we'll, we'll talk about this more when we talk about the exam too. We come out with this base level of knowledge where, yeah, we come into the practice ready to be utilized at a certain level, but then we as a community want the growth too. I, I find that every technician I've ever interacted with that's worth their salt, they also want to grow. They want to ask questions. They want to basically practice to the full extent that the scope of their state will allow. And I think that's great. And I think that, yeah, we need to be having these conversations and and utilizing these technicians and, and enabling their growth. And DVMs is a really good place to start for sure. Yeah. And I also, I agree with the networking. I think networking and talking to each other and connecting is a great way to grow as well. If you have a, a technician that is doing X, Y, and Z and has implemented something in their practice and you, is highlighting and utilizing certain skills, we could teach each other how to have those conversations within our practices, even in our schools, within the, the vet med community. And there's the proof of what is working. If you have a technician that's being utilized really well and their practice is bringing in X amount of revenue and their staff is happy because they're utilizing their skills and things are running really well. We need to share those examples to show that it works because it does. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, I, this is great conversation that we've already got started on, but let's kind of circle back to our VTNE. We alluded to the base level skills. 
and let's just start here by uh, just starting at the very beginning, right? So the, the VTNE, which is the Veterinary Technician National Exam. And like I alluded to earlier, this, this is entry level stuff, guys. So this is the exam that you take to make sure that you learned what you needed to learn in your program and you know what you need to know to be an entry level credentialed veterinary technician. So you know the medicine part of it, right? The second part to you actually becoming credential will be your particular state's jurisprudence or, like, or law exam, understanding the laws in the state around your credentials. But the VTNE is the big one that's the same for everyone, testing your medical knowledge. Let's talk about that a little bit, Beth. That's the big scary one, right? Because the state exams, typically the states that I've been licensed in, uh, licensed and registered in, have had open book law exam, which I think is pretty standard these days to have that be open book, the law. That's that's interesting. I, I don't know if that's the same in every state. Oh, um, I, and, I don't know that it is. Yeah, and not every state actually has a state exam because Illinois right. does not have a state exam. So I actually have that as part of my, my talking points with the VTNE because some of the states will actually attach the state exam to the VTNE so you don't have to sit twice. And it is different in, in every state. Yeah. And so I have been licensed in Washington, just finishing up my registration here in Indiana. In both of those states have been exactly the same for me. They email you the exam and then they also send you the links, right, to look online at their laws and, and go through it open book that way and send it back. I do know that also Missouri, they did have closed book testing, which just, that sounds worse to me than the VTNE, if I'm being totally honest. With the laws, that With sounds the laws, terrifying. That sounds awful. So I think it was all the way up to the class that graduated in 2013. I remember I worked with a couple of those graduates and they were just stressing out, right? And they were all going to carpool to Jeff City and just really quizzing the crud out of each other because this was closed book for the laws. And I just, my heart goes out to anyone that has to do that. <laughs> I can't imagine. I've always been thankful we haven't had to do it in Illinois. Yeah. So, so yeah, so all the state's regulations or requirements for your credentialing can vary a little bit. And right now, there's actually still three states that currently will allow you to sit for the VTNE with just on-the-job training. So they call it OTJ for short, right? So Alaska, yes. California, and Wisconsin, they still allow you with just on-the-job training. All the other states, you have to graduate from an ABMA-accredited school. And, and I, I, I just really want to talk about that too, Beth. I think you and I have very... Sure similar feelings about this. I think that the ABMA accredited school is necessary. And my reasoning behind that personally, agree. yeah, my, my reasoning behind that personally is the why, right? So when we're in that safe environment, in the classroom, in our labs with our instructors right there with us, we are always being taught the why behind the action that we're taking. Whereas if you're in a clinic, they might be practicing the gold standard of medicine, but I've worked in a lot of clinics for a lot of years and more often than not, you're told to do something and we never come back around and say why we're doing that. Right. And so you're just having that missed learning opportunity that a credential technician should have. Yeah. I think about safety as well. Um, there, there's, there's several things that, that alarm me with it. It's, if you're at one practice, also, you're just learning one way to do things. When you attend an AVMA 
accredited program, you're learning critical thinking. Uh, you're learning a variety of scenarios. You're learning a variety of different techniques and you're learning how to critically think through situations because medicine is not a one size fits all and not all animals read the book. So we need to be able to think through situations and critically think through situations, which is how the VTNE tests. Exactly. Exactly. Critical thinking. That's a big thing. It's a big part of what we do is you have to be able to critically think. And I distinctly remember my program director and our two main technician instructors. They told us that all the time, right? Critical thinking. You need to be critically thinking about what it is you're doing. This isn't just spitting back out facts at us, right? Right. Or or spitting back out a certain procedure because it can even be as simple as we have this standard drug protocol, but then we have a patient who maybe we already know that one of those drugs doesn't agree with them. Okay. Well, what are you going to do about it? Or, or they're under anaphylactic shock if, and under anesthesia. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Back to our exam. Most States do require that you graduate from an ABMA accredited program to sit for this exam. Three hour exam. 170 multiple choice questions, and it is computer-based, given either at a, a, a PSI testing center or it can be a live remote proctor situation. And again, I, I went to a PSI and- I did too. Yeah. So gave them my ID, sat at the computer, nervous as all get out for three hours, <laughs> waiting for that pass fail to flash up at the end, which is great that you get that at least. Right, right. It here the- um older school technicians that had to do Scantron for the VTNE and then wait eight weeks to get their, Oh my God, to get their score back. I would be beside myself. Kudos <laughs> to them. Yeah, definitely. I would not have survived eight weeks wondering if I passed this. I'd have been checking snail mail every day. Yeah. Right. And this exam is administered by the American Association of Veterinary State Boards. So the AAVSB is who make sure this you send your application to, they, they own this exam. So what we talked about previously, what we alluded to is, is why it's important. And this exam is important because it tests your medical knowledge at the entry level. Make sure that you're ready to be an entry level credentialed veterinary technician. And it tests your knowledge in nine different areas. So the nine that they have, pharmacology and pharmacy, surgical nursing, dentistry, laboratory procedures, animal care and nursing, diagnostic imaging, anesthesia, emergency medicine and critical care, and pain management and analgesia. So it seems scary and overwhelming, but I don't think that it needs to be. Preparation is key for the VTNE. So studying how you are going to test and making sure that you're, you have a good study regimen. It's not impossible to pass. I have an IEP and I have a learning disability and I'm also dyslexic. Uh, so it, it's completely possible to pass. You, Some people may need to put more work in than others. I am not a natural learner. Uh, so if you have the right regimen, if you know how you learn, if you have the right support system, you can pass. I feel anybody can pass the VTNE. I think that people get really bogged down by that nine domains, that big list that I just listed off. And they just, they think we need to be an expert in every single one of these nine domains of this when that's not really true. I don't think, I mean, 
if you think about 170 questions over nine nine domains, I think feeling like you need to be an expert in all those is an unrealistic expectation. It'll give you way too much anxiety. And you can miss some for goodness sake, you know? Yes. I, I don't think I got a single math question correct on the VTNE <laughs> and I was fine. They are broken down into percentages on the VTNE. So you can find the information on AAVSB's website as well. that has the exact breakdown. So out of those 170 questions, 20 of them are test questions. So it's only 150 of them that are graded. And if you go onto their website, it will tell you how many questions are going to be related to pharmacology, how many questions are going to be related to animal care and nursing. So I believe it's uh, 30 questions are related to animal care and nursing, but it actually gives you the breakdown of how which domain is going to be what percent on that test. So, so that can help you yeah, focus studying also on the different areas. Yeah. And their, their website guys is aavsb.org is their website. I'll chat about that a little bit more later. There's some other great stuff on there. You might want to visit for definitely taking a look at that breakdown and kind of figuring out, you know, I would definitely make sure you hit your weak points first, but not obsessing over it is kind of the bottom line for me. And then like Beth said, making sure that we know the best method of studying for ourselves. And there are so many different ways out there. I mean, flashcards are usually a really popular one, something I've used quite a lot. I had some classmates that rewrote things. So yeah, the really hard stuff, they would go back and just rewrite it. I don't even know how many times until they felt like their brain had it cemented in there. I just talked to one of my old students that he got a hundred percent on both of my parasitology exams. And I remember going through it. I was like, who is this? And then, (laughs) because we were just joking about it. And what he did was he wrote out all of the parasites and uh, we would, we would take off for spelling. So we wanted people to be able to spell the parasites and to get a hundred percent on your endo and ecto exam is insane. So, but that's what he did. That's how he learned. And that was an effective method for him is he just wrote out all of the scientific names. He said pages and pages and a hundred percent. I was like, wow, that kudos to whoever that student is first of all that is amazing and yes I'm mainly a flashcard girl but I did for that for spelling because my school did the same thing if you spelled it wrong you got it wrong right and so I did utilize that method for clin path as well writing out all those parasite names because I just didn't know any better way to go about that so I did the same I, I think that's a solid method probably for that. Other things I did though to study for the VTNE was Mosby's comprehensive review for the veterinary technician. I purchased that book. I actually also purchased the Colville one, uh, which was just review questions and answers. But I found the I love both of those. Yeah. Those know, are great resources. Those are excellent. And one they should now they both come with a digital a digital copy. So you can access it online. One of them may even have an app. I would have to check on that, but I love those resources. They're credible and they're, they're wonderful. Yes. And that, that was the feeling I got when I purchased, I purchased both because I didn't know what to expect, but both were very highly, you know, rated and recommended. I will say for my learning style, I did not make it all the way through the Colville. I preferred the Mosby where it was kind of basically just a summary of everything. Right. And And that's the other thing too, is the VTNE is over all of the species. Anything is fair game. So that's kind of the other sort of 
intimidating factor, I think, is, you know, if you're geared more towards small animal, you don't really know a lot about large animals, you don't really have a base there. And so that can be more intimidating. But that's what I loved about the Mosby's is it was a just a condensed view of vet tech school, really. So that one was my preferred, you know, other things, there's a lot of vet tech prep websites out there too. There's a couple of very good programs out there. Yeah, yeah. And they're usually paid. The reason why I I had a friend who bought one and I really loved that particular one. I think it was, I honestly, I can't remember the name. I loved that one though, because it gave the reason why. So if you got an answer wrong, it said, no, actually A is the right answer. And it gave you like a whole paragraph as to why. That's nice. Yeah. And and that's better for my style of learning. I don't want to just know the right answer. I want to know the why, right? Any other? And that's a method of studying too, is not just knowing that you got the answer wrong, but you do find information or there's a lot of learning in getting an answer wrong, especially if you can see why it was wrong. Those are, those are nice. If you have a program that tells you why it was wrong, VT, uh, vet tech prep does that. Yes. They, uh, I want to say Zuku and, uh, I believe VT any prep does as well. It tells you why you got the answer wrong. And then there are, you're right, there's tons of apps too. I remember I purchased, or it was, it was like a free app, I think, that I could just do in the car. It didn't give me any reasonings or anything like that, but it was just a quick thing I could do if I was out and I had a few minutes. And then it was just a few questions at a time. I could just take notes if I got one wrong and look it up later. That was good for just kind of on the go. It's surprising how much you pick up in 10, 15 minutes on those apps, even if it doesn't tell you why. And then the funny thing is you'll start seeing the same questions across different programs as well. So um, I remember going through and then seeing something, getting it wrong, and then finding it in another place and saying, hey, I remember I got that wrong last time (laughs) on this program. So that quick 15 minute app, 10 minutes when you're standing in line or you're waiting for something, it's, it's excellent. Surprising how much you pick up in those, yeah. those little bitty time slots. You know, and while we're chatting about studying and things too, I just want to say, guys, don't overdo the studying. So make sure that we're taking plenty of breaks. We're not just staying up all night, trying to cram. You're not going to learn that way. You're not going to retain the information that way. Don't just absolutely kill yourself trying to overstudy because then you'll miss the the silly things, right? The easy things that there's, you'll look back and say, there's no way I would have missed that if I was focused and had more sleep or what have you. So don't overstudy either. That's real. It's real. It is. I was going to say that is most certainly a real thing when you actually, you mentally burn yourself out. It's after a certain point, you don't absorb any information. So that was something I would tell my students. And that was something I brought up in the the study sessions that I hosted is recognize when you're done, recognize when you peak, when you're, when your brain is not holding on to anything else. If you are feeling frustrated, if you are feeling overwhelmed, it's time to stop because even if you're sitting there for another hour and you're doing flashcards and you're looking through things, your brain, you're not absorbing anything else. Yep. That's when it, I think that's happened to all of us where we study, 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 and then we take the test and we bomb it. It's like, what happened? I studied so much, but the overstudying is a real thing because you're not retaining it. Yes, absolutely. And then making sure that you're paying attention and practice too, I think is another great tool that you can use while you're studying. Ask the question, you know, maybe you don't have time in that moment to ask your doctor about 
some hinky blood work results that you saw that day, or maybe a condition that a patient has that you're not quite as familiar with, write those things down, ask them later. And you'll be amazed at how far that will go too. It's just really, really soaking in when you're in the clinical environment and asking those questions. I can't advocate enough for just asking questions as often as you can. And I think people like to answer and they like if you're inquisitive and you want to know why something is being done. I think people love to share. Well, and I think it says a lot about you as a person wanting that growth, you know, that they can say, ah, this, this is a person that's invested, invested in the medicine, invested in the work and wants that growth. You'll probably find a good relationship there too. I bet. As I say, you might start getting invited in on, on different things and Hey, come see what's under this microscope. Hey, we have this interesting case. I noticed that you were asking about fluffy over there. Come see fluffy over here. We've got something cool going on. So those discussions are so important because there's so much learning and discussions and perspective. Yes, absolutely. Hey, this is happening with this patient. And you say, oh, well, I didn't really notice that. And you may notice it on the next patient. And the other great thing about that is too, is, you know, we said earlier, the patients don't read the books. So no matter how many times you see something, sure, it might present the same four times in a row, but then you'll see that condition the fifth time and that patient might present a little bit differently. And it's always cool to see that change and that difference because then you'll know the next time you'll, you'll know what you're seeing or what to expect or, oh, hey, I have seen that before happen. So I, I think that's the great part about learning and growing too, is if you're paying attention, you'll see other nuances Because there's so much growth after school. And I think that that's another thing that really gets forgotten about is when we go through school, we're given this big, broad picture of what veterinary medicine is, but that's not the end all be all. I mean, there are so many different paths you can take after school. School is just grooming you to decide where you want to go and learn and grow so much more after the fact. So Don't be frustrated either because you still have a long way to go in your career after graduation, a long way. Yeah, that's part of the reason I love this profession too. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. There's always something new. There's always a different area to look in, a a different species to work with. We can travel. There's, there's, There's just so much about this profession. It's you never stop. And then the other thing I love about this profession is that how involved the technician and how much we can utilize our knowledge where one of my friends, her, her sister was, oh gosh, I forgot what, where she was at, but they were looking for people to go and establish baseline blood work on puffins. They were looking for licensed technicians to go draw blood on puffins and then establish normal ranges. So we're the ones doing things uh, like that a lot where we're, we're discovering new things about different species. We're more than nails and anal glands and vaccines. Yes. And that puffin story right there is what I'm trying to get out to other credentialed veterinary technicians. We don't have to be pigeonholed into right. that, into general practice. There is so much more, so much more opportunity, but back to our studying. So in all of your years of academia, are, are there any other kind of unique study tips or tricks or anything particularly to studying for the VTNE interesting things students have been doing to study that you've come across that just seemed different or new or something you hadn't heard of before 
there is several different ways to study. Um, utilizing various study techniques, whether it's studying by yourself, uh, studying in groups is a big one, but mix it up, utilize different ways to study and know your learning style. I found knowing your learning style is one of the most important things to, to effectively studying for the VTNE, because if you are a, we'll say an audible learner and you are trying to study visually, uh, if you're trying to do what works for somebody else, it doesn't matter how much you use those flashcards. If you are not a visual learner, it's not going to be effective. You maybe need to record something or listen to a recording. If you are a hands-on learner, you maybe need to find something that works for you where you are actually applying the knowledge. So finding the method that works for you and understanding what type of learner you're, you are is extremely important. And that's going to dictate what study method works for you. So there's quite a few tests out there. There's free tests on Google that can help somebody understand a little bit more about how they learn. And then it crosses over. So you can be a visual learner and a hands-on learner. You can be a little bit of, of a visual learner, hands-on learner, and um, an audible learner. But understanding how you learn is going to help you retain your knowledge. Yeah, testing on what kind of learner you are I think that's a really great point, especially when you said, you know, maybe mix it up, study in groups and then study on your own, because you're right. Yeah. If you are maybe a little bit of both visual and an audible learner, making sure we're talking out loud with our friends, but then taking that quiet time at home to read or do our flashcards or whatever. I think that's a, that's a really great point for sure. And I've also seen things like some visual learners, you know, that were really are leaning more towards the arts draw huge flow charts, you know, that seem insane to me. And I'm like, I don't know how you retain anything off of that, but makes a difference for them. Yeah, absolutely. If you are a a visual learner drawing out body systems for A&P, On the VTNE, you get a piece of paper or a whiteboard, so you have something to write down on. For me, I'm visual. I'm very visual. I drew out my cardiac cycle, so I had something to reference because I didn't want to be picking back in my brain, stressing out. And after three hours, I needed something to, to actually look at. I'm one of those people that did mind maps. So mind maps are a concept where you say you start with, um, muscles right in the center. You write it in the center and you can either do this method of studying by yourself or with a group. I always thought it was kind of fun to do in a group. So say you put muscles right in the middle and then you come up and you just put branches off of it. Everything you can can remember about muscles. So we have three types. You write down your three types of muscles and then you branch off of that, maybe where these types of muscles are located. I did the same thing with nematodes, with parasites. And I actually wrote it out on, on my VTNE where I could visualize that. So mind maps and drawing things out are a great way to help retain knowledge. And they're great for visual learners, especially because you can write it there on the, uh, have it in front of you for the VTNE. I feel like your mind maps could also be sort of a little bit of a stress reliever, add a little fun into this, maybe if we're taking our time with our group work. And I could see that being something fun, a fun way to study too with friends. It is. 
Because yes. you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that reminds me of this. I'm going to go write this down. And then somebody said, oh, wow, I forgot about that. Hey, how about, how about this? So I think yeah. that's, um, it's a fun way and it's active. So that works for hands-on learners or people who have to move around a lot because there's people that need to move when they think and that's perfectly okay. So that's, that's something that can be kind of a fun activity. Yes. That sounds whiteboard and a bunch of markers. That sounds really fun. And, and take a picture of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Take a picture for reference later. And Beth did bring up another good point that you do have your scratch paper and your pencil the day of the exam. So if you're panicked, (laughs) you can cram in some things you think you might forget and hurry up and scribble it down when you get in there. And, and that's okay. You can brain dump. It's another, I love brain dumping. (laughs) You can't cram for the VTID, but uh, you can brain dump formulas. If you know you have a weakness in a certain area, like we'll say math. So if you're stressing about math and that's something that you're, you you know, you're going to need something to reference. You can sit down and when you have that scratch paper, write down your formulas I was somebody, I sat down immediately, drew out my cardiac cycle because that was something that I was stressing about, but brain dump, everything you can think of, write it on your piece of scratch paper or write it on your whiteboard in case it pops up, you have something to reference. Yes. The other thing I'd like to bring up for the day of the exam too, is when I went to, to the PSI testing center, at the time that I took it, the software had great features in there, like highlight strike out. You could also skip the question and come back later. So I loved the highlight and strike out because every once in a while, especially with the math questions, right? They throw in like too many numbers. You you don't need all the numbers. Way too many details. Yeah. You can highlight the numbers that are important. So then you can figure out your equation on the multiple choice. You can use the strikeout for ones that you are a hundred percent sure are not the right answer. And then it just... Yeah, that visual of just taking them out of your focus, taking them off the table, and then you can look at the ones that are maybes and and pick your correct answer out of there, you know? So because you don't have to know the right answer all the time. Exactly. There are methods to uh, ensure that you have a better educated guess and by crossing out the one you absolutely know is not the right one. You at least have three more to choose from that's still increased your chances of guessing a correct answer. It's an art. Yes. So I definitely encourage you guys to take full advantage of all of those things, your scratch paper, all the things offered in the software to make it easier, your life easier on the day of the test, for sure. All those things are, are super helpful. It's been a little bit since I've taken mine and I know it's been a little bit since you've taken yours, but I can't really think of any others kind of on the day of the test that are super helpful hints really. You can flag questions as well. Oh, so if you're not yes. sure, you can flag it and uh, come back to it. Yeah, and there's yeah. Uh, three versions of the VTNE. Also, it's not a percent. It's not a grade. You don't get a 75. You don't get an A. You don't get a B. It doesn't work like that. That was something that always confused me. Yeah, I was like, how is that possible? It's <laughs> like, how does it? Can I can I change this or work this out so I can see what my 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 percent is? But it, it doesn't work like that. It's graded out of 800 points and passing is 425. And each question is scored based on its level of difficulty. Uh, one being the easier questions and then three being uh, a higher level of difficulty. So you need at least a 425 to pass. And I don't think anybody ever asks what your score was. It's just like, hooray, 
I yeah. passed. Yeah. I honestly don't even know what mine was. I, all I remember in my life is that huge word pass on the computer <laughs> screen. And that's all that mattered. All that mattered. There was a survey before I got my, my score. And that was, that was something I thought that nobody, nobody had told me about. So I had clicked enter on my exam. And I guess that's still there. This was, um, I just talked to somebody who recently took it in the last round and she had the survey as well. I blacked so, that part out of my memory, but you're right. Yeah, it, is oh, there. it makes you do the survey before you see your score yeah. or your pass yeah. fail. I thought I was going to get my pass fail. And it's like, tell us how we did. I was like, oh, are you kidding? I almost screamed. You're making me wait for this. <laughs> yes. That, that caught me off guard. And the computer calculator too was something um, that I was happy when I was studying for the VTNE in the months prior. And I studied for three months using the computer calculator. And I don't know what it was about the computer calculator. That would have thrown me so bad on the VTNE if I didn't get used to it in the months prior. Okay. I like my handheld calculator. And I had heard this from a couple of people that handheld calculator, there's something about that. It was like my security item on my tests. Yeah. So having to switch to the computer was a huge switch and it just, it just kind of threw me off. So practicing all of your math using the little app on the computer was, was helpful because it, I was used to it by the time I came to the VTNE. I didn't need anything else to, to be different. I needed to be very uh, comfortable that day. So yeah. other people said that that helped too, to actually use the computer calculator when studying. Fair enough. And you mentioned studying for three months prior. So that also brings up a good point that they do only offer the exam three times per year. So I believe the windows are March, April, July, August, and November, December are, are the three testing windows that they offer throughout the year. I highly, highly recommend that you make sure you have everything done and you're officially graduated at your last day of your vet tech schooling so that you can sit in the very next exam window. So for example, I graduated in May and I made sure I was done in May, able to send my transcripts in and sit in July. I do not recommend that you wait until the second or third window after your program is over. 100% agree. Statistically, the longer you wait, the harder it is to pass. That's not to say it's impossible no. at all. But if you have the opportunity to sit right after you graduate, please sit for the VTNE after you graduate. Yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? Th that saying's right. there for a reason. It's been around for a long time for a reason because yes, all these little minutiae are just going to slowly leak from your brain. So don't let that happen to you. Make sure you have your gen eds out of the way and you're ready to sit as soon as you are done with your program. There's a couple states that will let you sit right before you graduate, right before you go out onto your last externship. Oh, so lovely. that is, yeah, we're starting to see that be more of a thing. I'm not sure which states across the board allow that, that it would be just very specific. So that's something you can actually ask your school about to find out if, if you're able, if you are a student and listening, if you're able to sit before your, your externship. Yeah, that is awesome advice. So check into your your programs, your states, and see if you can get that done for yourself. Just talking about programs, Beth, I mean, we, we already kind of talked about this, but it's something that I'm very passionate about going through a program to gain your credentials. So, you know, we've talked about the VTNE, how to study, how to get there. 
don't throw anything away from your schooling, by the way, too. I think I forgot to mention that during the study. I still session have my we talked about that. I know I still have mine. I, I haven't can't. cracked them in years, but I can't bring myself. I can't bring myself to get rid of them. All of those notes. I took handwritten notes in school. It's literally in this giant bin. I just moved. And my husband's like, what do you want to do with this? I'm like, we're going to keep that. Let's just put that downstairs for now in this huge, heavy bin. I can't, I, when I hear people, I'm going to burn my books after school. Are you not, do you know, number one, how much those cost? You might need those too. Yes. work. I think I have mine down into four large binders, all of my handwritten notes too. And they didn't give all our exams back, but the ones that I did get back, they're all in there too. And, and yeah, I haven't looked at them in years, but I just don't have the heart to throw them away. And you shouldn't, while you're studying for your exams, you shouldn't make sure you do definitely keep them after that. If you want to be crazy like Beth and I, and just keep them for eternity and not look at them, feel free. We won't judge, but you know, but that's just another benefit of going through a program is, and I do remember when I was studying, I had all these notes to go back through and things that, you know, I'd written into margins and, and all this to understand the whys and feel more confident and better prepared when I did step into this big intimidating exam. Yeah. And it's, and we're practicing medicine. We are, we are doing actual medicine. We have lives in our hands being able to understand and explain why we're doing what we're doing and being able to navigate through situations is extremely important. We have lives in our hands. Yes, absolutely. Well, Beth, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners on this topic? Be kind to yourselves, take breaks and don't be so hard on yourself. If you fail, do it again. I think failure is, it's just a part of life. It's a very real part of life. We, in this day and age, look at failure as it's just this terrible, horrible thing. And it's, it's taboo almost, but it's a part of life. If you fail, it's okay. Get back up, do it again. Learn from your mistakes. Let's find a support system. The uh, AAVSB will give you a breakdown of your exam and it will show you how you scored in each domain. Learn from it get up, do it again. The test does not define you. It's an important test, but it doesn't define you. And walking into that test with a positive mindset and understanding that, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave everything I've got right here. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to do it again. I think going in with that mindset, that positive mindset can be huge. Not letting your your thoughts get the better of you because you can pass. You absolutely can. It's in preparation and support. Well, and you know more than you think you do is my honest opinion in the majority of people going into the VTNE, they know more than they give themselves credit for. If I'm being honest, I I truly, I truly believe that. And I wonder if some people that fail the first time too, it's not just maybe a case of stage fright, you know, not that they're a bad condition, not that they're not smart. They just let the jitters get the best of them. So just, just try, try again. I think you get three tries. You I do. Mean, you have three. Tr- no, you I'm, do. Not, I'm not advocating for taking all three tries, but I think you get three tries. So you can do four, but you, um, if after those three tries in some states, you have to appeal before a board. Yes. All right. Oh, and also the, the AAVSB.org. That's a great website for lots of different things that Beth mentioned. They do also have some of their own prep exams as well. So little mini versions of the exam, uh, they do cost, but you know, if you are feeling extra 
nervous about things and maybe want to see some stuff from that organization, you could always look into their prep tests on their website as well. So tons of great information on there. If you guys are getting close to your VTNE or, you know, maybe even just starting school and want to know what you're getting into, definitely check out their website and learn some more information. They also have a great little drop down box feature where you can select your state and they give you the overview of the requirements for your state to, to become credentialed. So definitely give that a check, um, but always check back with your state too. They'll have the most up-to-date information on credentialing in your state. All right, Beth, what about a tip or trick for our listeners? I always like my guests to leave us. I, I know you've got a couple, so that's great. I like at least one, but two is awesome. What do you have for us? Yeah. Blood draws, jug blood draws, um, pushing in on the thoracic inlet and then up. Yes. Um, and it pops out that vessel uh, really well. Yes. Perfect. That's an awesome and, one. And then I had a study tip uh, to put post-its around areas of your house or in your car for little things that you wanted to remember or had trouble remembering. And uh, you'd be surprised at how much you pick up every time you go to the refrigerator and, <laughs> and grab something out or even in the bathroom, uh, putting your, your red blood cell indices formulas uh, on the bathroom mirror and maybe a positive mantra to build yourself up and get yourself some, some confidence because we are worth it. Yes, definitely. I love the positive mantra. That's what, well, I mean, I love the sticky note too. Maybe not when I'm crying, getting out ice cream. I don't really <laughs> want to see red blood cell indices, but I think that's great. That's an awesome additional study tip from what we have here today. And that wraps us up for today, guys. Beth, uh, was there any social media or uh, programs that you would like promoted here oh. with us today? I'm working with ISVMA. I encourage people to get involved with their states um, and become members of their state boards. Yes. Heavily advocate for that as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Beth. I feel like we had great conversation, lots of great tips that went out today. We're getting ready for that VTNE that does not need to be as scary as people think it needs to be. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And guys, you can catch me on Facebook or Instagram, Kendra the Vet Tech. You can also head over to my website, KendraTheVetTech.com and pick up your copy of my telephone triage flip book for your practice there. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have topics you'd like to hear about, definitely shoot me an email at KendraTheVetTech at gmail.com. You can also check me out on YouTube for some instruction, instructional videos that I have on there as well. Thanks guys. Bye.